Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Uh, I gotta pause for just a minute and give a special shout out to my pops who's probably watching from far west Texas. I'm thankful for the fact that you taught me how to work hard. I'm thankful for our conversations about the weather all the time, Uh, but I'm mostly thankful that you chose uh, to love me and that you chose me so many years ago. I'm super grateful for you, Dad. Um, You know, it's it's interesting, this phenomenon has taken over our culture and it's called Fortnite. Um, I don't know if you know anything about that, um, but my kids have gone through seasons where they've been obsessed with Fortnite. Maybe your kids are like that, maybe your spouse is like that, but a couple months ago, I went upstairs because my boys will disappear for days at a time, and uh, I just wanted to go upstairs and to reacclimate myself with my kids, make sure they don't forget who I am, and so I get up there, and Camden's playing Fortnite, and I'm like, hey, hey, Cam, and he's trying to look past me, you know, interrupting his game, and I said, hey, buddy, I love you. Dad, why are you telling me this? I said, I just don't want you to forget, buddy. He goes, How could I? You tell me all the time. I mean, never made eye contact, never broke his game. I mean, he just, he was locked in. And the reason that I do that is because I know that inside of every single one of us, there is a longing for our dad's, our father's approval, for his love, for his affection, for his acceptance in our lives. I heard Louis Giglio in his most recent book talk about it this way. Um, You could go to the pool during the summer every single day of the summer, but then there's that one day where dad decides to show up and everything changes in that moment. Because when dad walks onto the scene, All of a sudden, all the kids want to do is impress their daddy. And so it's, daddy, daddy, watch this. Daddy, are you ready? Daddy, I'm gonna do a toothpick. Are you ready to watch this? And you're like, I'm ready, son. I'm ready, girl. Like, go for it. Let me see the toothpick. It's gonna be the best toothpick, I'm sure. And so he or she is like, okay, daddy, you ready? You ready? Here I go. And they get on the diving board. They hold their nose. And they're like, daddy, you watching? Don't get distracted. Daddy, you ready? And then they jump. And it's the most perfect toothpick in the world, of course. At least you have to say that. And they come up out of the water quickly gasping and wiping their face to look to see if you saw them. And they're like, Daddy, did you see it? Did you see me, Daddy? Daddy, did you see me? Was it good, Daddy? And they're doing this all because they long to hear their daddy say, that was awesome. That's my boy. That's my girl. And then they swim to the side and they say, Daddy, you want me to do it again? Daddy, Daddy, I'm gonna do it again. Daddy, are you watching, Daddy? Daddy, are you watching? And listen, moms, I'm not saying this to devalue your influence in our lives. I am thankful for your love, for your compassion, for your care, for your wisdom. If it weren't for moms, it would be cereal night every night and kids would wear the same clothes for years at a time. And so moms, listen, I am thankful for you. But there is a need, there is a longing for every single one of us that I don't think can be met any other way. I mean, moms, you know this. You could be at the pool for 100 days in a row with the kids, and the day that dad shows up, it turns into an extravaganza. I mean, it goes all next level. Because there is this longing, there is this desire in every single one of us to hear the acceptance, to hear the approval, to hear and validate the love that our Father has for us. And I say this this morning because I believe the enemy knows this well. And I believe that the enemy wants to work to do everything he can to change the perception that so many of us might have towards our earthly father because if he can change the perception that you and I may have of our earthly father, then maybe he can begin to crack the perception that we might have of our heavenly father. We just returned home from middle school camp. I don't know if you noticed. 
But it was overwhelming to hear the stories this week of so many students who live in homes with absent fathers. The number of students who don't have a full-time relationship with their biological father. And listen, what I'm saying this morning is I don't believe it's an accident. It is a strategy of the enemy to step in and to destroy, to distract, to derail the potential that you and I may have to have a relationship with a heavenly father. And so this morning on this Father's Day, you don't need a reminder from me of my love for you, but we could all benefit from a reminder of the love that our heavenly Father has for us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna dive into a story that's familiar, that's popular, even outside of the church world. It's the story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, we read about this. Charles Dickens says it's the finest story ever told. And it's a story that we're familiar with, we've heard about, we've heard about the prodigal son. And oftentimes we kind of misunderstand what that means and we begin to think that it's a story of a runaway child. But there's three characters in the story. There's the two sons, the older son who stays home, who does what his father says, and the younger son who runs away to live a prodigal life, a life of recklessness, a life where he is wasteful with what he has. And then there's the father, the loving father. And I wonder if maybe the most important one that we're supposed to focus on in the story that Jesus tells his followers is actually the father. And it may not even be the prodigal nature of the son that we're supposed to look at, but maybe it's the prodigal love of the father because prodigal means to, 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 to spend at all cost. And I wonder if it's the love that the father wants to pour out at all cost that we're supposed to focus our attention to this morning. Not the runaway nature of the son. You know, we come from all different ends of the spectrum in this. There are those that have incredibly dysfunctional, distant, detached relationships with earthly fathers, and then you have some who you've got a great relationship with your father, and for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves on this spectrum, the goal for this morning isn't that we would see a better or a bigger vision of what a father is to look like. The goal this morning is to see that there is a perfect father who desires to be with us, who wants you to have his approval, his acceptance, his love. So let's look at Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Jesus is telling this parable to a big group of people following him, mostly religious people. And he's telling this parable not to um, tell us a true story, but he's using this story to illustrate the relationship that we get to have with God in heaven. So he starts off and it says, he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now we gotta pause right there and begin to understand what is happening in this situation. In this moment, in this story, Jesus tells us that the younger son comes to his father and he says, father, I need my inheritance now. I know I'm not supposed to have it until you're dead, but if you could go ahead and give me what's owed to me when you're dead, that would be great. In other words, Father, you're better off dead to me. I have no use for you. I value what you have and I want to have what you have, but a relationship with you, I'm not interested in that. I have no desire to live underneath the canopy of your love. 
underneath the canopy of your instruction, your wisdom, your protection, your provision, everything that you provide in that, I don't count worth on, and so I just need my inheritance. You're better off dead to me. You know, as a father, I'm not sure there would be anything more painful than that. For one of your children to come to you and say, you know what, I wish you would just go ahead and die so that I can have my inheritance now. It's an incredibly difficult, dysfunctional picture that we see. Continues in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You see, this prodigal son, this younger son decides, I don't wanna live underneath my father's canopy, my father's umbrella any longer. So I'm gonna take what's mine and I'm gonna go to live my life in the moment, impulsive, all about me. If it feels right, I'm gonna pursue it. If it seems right, I'm gonna pursue it in the moment. Not worried about what could happen tomorrow, not, what we're, not worried what could happen next week, next month, next year. I'm just gonna live in the moment. I am going to live the dream. There's this reckless lifestyle he begins to pursue. And quickly, a life of money, a life of friends, a life of uh, an incredible social scene and fun and excitement and just living it up turns to a life of despair, to a life of loneliness, a life of begging. He finds himself in a place where he would be considered the lowest in society. I mean, for us, none of us desires to live among the, among the pigs, but in this culture, that was incredibly disgusting because pigs were seen as the most unclean creature. And so to, for Jesus to tell the story and paint this picture that he ended up in the lowest place possible in society, he was wanting us to recognize something. You know, I've heard pastors and teachers and preachers say this for years, and it's so incredibly true. They say, if you're not sinning and having fun, then you're not doing it right. And what is sin? Sin is simply you and I choosing to live the way we wanna live with no regard for what God tells us. And it's not because God wants to control our life or wreck our life or ruin all the fun, it's because he wants to protect us from something. But we begin to decide, you know, I think I can make decisions for myself. And we begin to deceive ourselves. We begin to trust our understanding and not his understanding. We've stepped out from his canopy of understanding and saying, you know what? I, I realize that all, that all sounds good, and that's probably good for everybody else, but I'm gonna run after this because I think I'll be okay. And we find ourselves in a place eventually, after a season, where we find ourselves experiencing loneliness and despair, brokenness, dysfunction. I mean, maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. There was a season, and you've, you've deceived yourself for years, believing that you could handle it, I know I shouldn't pursue this sort of relationship with somebody. I know that God, what God says against um, pursuing a, a relationship and, and you start factoring in all the physical, sexual nature of the relationship and I know what God says about all that but I, I, I'm just not sure that applies to us because what we have is special for a season. I mean, they promised they would always be there. They promised they would never leave only to leave 
and are no longer there and you find yourself lonely. And so oftentimes what we do is we don't, we don't get it the first time. We think, oh, you know what? I just messed it up this time. And so we chase after it again, believing and deceiving that we're gonna get it right the next time only to find ourselves in this repetitive cycle of chaos that leads to despair and loneliness. And maybe it's not a relationship issue. Maybe it's an addiction issue. Maybe it's some family dysfunction, some selfishness. Maybe it's debt that is controlling your life. There's no freedom in your life because the debt is so overwhelming. It's all a result of us deceiving ourselves, believing that we can make decisions for ourselves the best way without God's leadership without trust in our heavenly Father. And this is where the son finds himself in this passage. Angelina Jolie says it this way. She says, I have everything they say you have to have to be happy, and I am not happy. The great scholar Eminem says it this way. He says, you have to be careful what you wish for. I always wish for this, but it has become more of a nightmare than a dream. You know, it's all promising until we fail to experience the promise. And maybe this is where you find yourself today. You are in that season. You're in the lowest place you ever imagined you would be. And as we get to this point in the story that Jesus is telling, oftentimes we become so focused on the despair and the loneliness and the pitiful situation that the younger son finds himself in. But if we could kind of split the screen here And on one screen, on one side, you see the loneliness and the despair and the destruction of the younger son. But on the other screen, you see the picture of the father whose love is never ending for the son that has run away, for the son that has disowned him, for the son that has decided he wanted to live his life on his own. But on this screen, you see the picture of the father and his love has never stopped. He's never stopped longing for the return of his son. Look what it says in verse 17. But when he came to himself, some translations say, but when he came to his senses, there is not a more powerful prayer that we may need to pray for some of those close to us than the fact that they would come to their senses, that they would remember their heavenly father. It says, but when he came to to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. You know, it's interesting in the story, the son comes to his senses and he begins to reflect back on the life he had with the father. And he begins to remember that it was better then. It was a better place in life to be there, that he had deceived himself. And so he comes up with this speech that he's going to recite to his father when he goes back home. You know, it's interesting in this story, oftentimes we can get confused because we don't understand the full context of everything Jesus was saying because Jesus has actually told three stories to help us understand the reckless love of our heavenly Father. He starts off in the first part of Luke chapter 15 telling a story about a woman who loses one of 10 coins and she loses her mind. She goes on a relentless pursuit to find this one coin and then he goes a little bit further and he begins to talk about a shepherd who loses a sheep, one out of the 99. And all of a sudden that one sheep's value increases because it's now been lost. And so he leaves the 99 to go find the one. You know, we don't really probably completely understand losing a coin or losing a sheep because there's not a lot of sheep herders in the room today. But think about it like this, maybe you lose a $20 bill 
There's a desire to probably find that, but your life is not gonna take a really tragic turn because you lost that $20 bill. You're gonna look for it, you're gonna check your laundry, you're gonna look in the dryer, you're gonna check between the couch cushions. Think about maybe losing your cell phone. Uh, that goes up a level. You know, we kind of start going into a panic. Breathing gets heavy. Maybe you go into convulsions even because you don't have that device anymore and you go on this relentless pursuit to find the device. But in this story, it goes completely next level. The feeling of losing a child your child has been lost. You see, we think in the story that it was the son who ran back to his father. But anybody knows that when you lose a child, you're on a relentless pursuit at all cost. You're on a reckless pursuit at all cost. Whatever it takes, I'm gonna find my boy. I'm gonna find my girl. A couple years ago, we were at the beach with our kids and we're hanging out and you know, I, I, I'm a little paranoid and so I'm constantly keeping an eye on my boys as they're running around and they're jumping in the waves and then they're coming out and making sure they got their life jackets on. And all of a sudden, I mean, I turned for just a moment. I turned around and when I turned back and I looked, all of a sudden Cam was still there but Braden was gone. And his life jacket was laying on the sand. And I panicked and I started yelling, Braden! Braden! And I'm running towards the water, scanning the water, looking for Braden, I can't find him. Brandy starts yelling for Braden, she starts looking, and then all of a sudden he goes, what, Dad? And I turn around, my heart was going crazy, and he's standing next to the car eating a Lunchable. He had just gotten out of my sight, but in that moment, I was willing to do whatever it takes to get my boy back. And I think that this is what is being portrayed to us in this story. So oftentimes we think that the boy runs back to the dad in his own understanding, but the Apostle John tells us about the father drawing us to himself that he uses our circumstances, he uses our pain, he uses our frustration, he uses the confusion, the difficult times in our life, he uses those to draw us back to himself because it's in those times that we most often remember and reflect on the love that our father has for us. And so the father is drawing the son back in his desperate, lonely time in life. Look what it says in the second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. There's not a more powerful verse in this, in this story than that one. I mean, just imagine the scene. The son has probably been replaying the script in his mind of what he's going to say to his father. He's got it memorized. And then he's probably become overwhelmed and maybe even a little bit panicked of what is the response of my father who I told I would rather die? What is his response gonna be to me coming home? Is he, even, is he even looking for me? Is he gonna see me and turn around and go back inside and lock the door? Is he gonna kinda walk to me in frustration and anger? Is he gonna ask me where his money's at? Is he gonna look at me in disgust? What is the response of my father gonna be in this moment? And as he gets down the road and he begins to see the house, he sees his father looking for him, and then he begins to run after him. Now, even in our culture today, men don't run. I mean, if you go to the outlet mall this afternoon, and you're hanging out, and you see a grown man sprinting through the outlet mall, one of two things is true. He's committed a crime, or he's had a crime committed against him, because men don't run. It was the same in this culture. Not only that, but this man was wearing a robe, because men wore robes in that day. Praise the Lord, that's not true anymore. But I don't know about you, I've never tried this, but I can assume that running in a robe is a difficult task. 
And in order to run with a robe, I mean, you don't see anybody running marathons or sprinting in a robe these days. In fact, they wear very little clothing. There's a lot of man thigh involved, and that's probably not okay. So in this moment, the father had to roll up his robe and pull his robe up and expose his legs and expose his knees so that he could sprint after his boy that had come home. And what's interesting about that is that in this culture, to expose your knees was incredibly shameful. There was a lot of shame involved in that. And so this father, whose heart is dominated with emotion in this moment, doesn't care what anybody else thinks, doesn't care about the response of someone else. He takes on the shame to chase after his son. And it says that he gets to him and he embraces him and he kisses him regardless of what he smelled like. I mean, he's probably got pig slop on his clothes, probably needs a haircut. I mean, he's disgusting. He's the one that's supposed to carry the shame but the father chases after him. I mean, where's the shame? There is none. The father owns it. Where's the punishment? Not a drop. No mention of the debt that's been occurred. It's gone. There's no mention of it. He just embraces him. He says, I don't care what anybody else thinks. My boy is home. And then look what happens. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice he doesn't even get through his entire speech. I mean, he had it prepared. He was ready. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Man, what an overwhelming response in this moment for this younger son and for the father. But it's significant for us to understand what happens in this moment. He says, let's celebrate. And he puts a robe on his son. And it says that he put the best robe on his son. Well, the best robe would have been owned by the father. So the father says, hey, here's my robe. I'm going to cover the disgust. Those clothes you have on, nobody's gonna see that. They're gonna see me when they look at you. And then he puts a ring on his finger. And in this day, a ring meant there was power, there was authority. So what he's saying, he's saying, I'm putting my power, my authority on you. You have access to it. My authority, my power is now your power, your authority. And then he puts sandals on his feet. And he's, the, different, the significance of that is the servants weren't allowed to wear sandals. And the servants weren't allowed to, certainly weren't allowed to wear sandals into the house. But a family member, a son, he could wear his sandals anywhere because he had the privilege, he was in the position to walk wherever the father walked. So the father began to restore the son back to where he originally was. This is an amazing story, it's an incredible story, but it's not just a story Jesus told that we would remember and think, man, that's a great story. Jesus is telling a story and he's pointing to what ultimately he was going to do. You see, the story of the prodigal son, the story of this love that the father has for his boy is pointing us to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, when you reflect on and you think about the cross of Jesus, this was Jesus running after us, taking on the shame that we were supposed to carry. I mean, when you think about what it took to go to the cross, Jesus was beaten, he was spit on, he had a crown of thorns placed on his head, 
He was whipped with a cat of nine tails. Scholars say that the cat of nine tails would literally rip the flesh of the human body, so much so that at times there were organs lying on the ground. Men would weep. They would vomit because of the pain. They would urinate themselves. And none of this happened in this private cell somewhere where no one could watch. It happened in public. It was the perfect picture of intimidation. And Jesus did that in my place. He bore my shame because every single one of us find ourselves in a place where we decided to step out from underneath the canopy of his love, his understanding, his wisdom, his protection, his provision, believing I can do this on my own. And the cost of that was death. The penalty was shame, guilt, condemnation, no relationship with the Father. And Jesus stepped in and did what was, had to be done to take on that shame, to take on that guilt, to accrue that debt in my place. It doesn't just point us to the cross, it points us to the resurrection. There are seasons in my life where I'll be driving down the road and a song will come on the radio from 20, 25, 30 years ago, and that song triggers a memory. And it's a memory to a season in my life where I made some really terrible choices. Choices that led to a lot of regret, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And when I think about this story and I think about the love of the Father, I remember that he covers my past that his garment covers the garments of my past mistakes, my past guilt. When God looks at me, he sees his son. He sees Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees his son. He sees his daughter. What I was on my worst day is not who I am, and the fact that he loves me today means that he'll love me tomorrow. Not only that, but he puts a ring on my finger. His power, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, that brought a dead man back to life, is the same power that's available to me. And so when there's sin, there's temptation, there's addiction in my life, I know that it's not my power that's going to be able to overcome that, it's the power of God working through me that's gonna give me victory over that sin, that addiction, whatever it is that's holding me back. I begin to reflect on the broken and the dysfunction of family dynamics sometimes, and I begin to remember and think, you know what? God's power is at work in me because I've chosen to step back underneath the canopy, the umbrella of his protection, his provision, his love, his understanding, his wisdom. He puts sandals on my feet because I am in a privileged position as his son. You're under the privileged position as his daughter. You know, if it's interesting, our kids, when they're young and they get scared in the middle of the night, what do they do? They go to your room and they stand at the bed and they whisper. And they never come to the dad's side. They always go to mom's side because they know that dad doesn't care and he's gonna send them back to their room. <laughs> but mom, she's got the compassion. She's got the care in that moment. And they walk up to the bed and they go, mommy, 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 wake up. Mommy, I'm scared. Monsters, mommy. If I walked into your house in the middle of the night and I walked up to the side of the bed and said, hey, I'm scared. <laughs> You're gonna shoot me. It's gonna be the last thing I ever do on this earth. I will be a dead man. Why? Because your little boy, your little girl, has a privileged position in your family and where you go, they have access to. And the same is true for me and for you. The Father loves us and when we step back underneath the canopy of his grace, his love, 
his wisdom, his understanding. We have a privileged position as his sons and daughters. And so what that means is it means that what, he, what I care about, he cares about. And so when I get scared in life, when I get that diagnosis, or the one I love gets that diagnosis, I can run to him and say, Daddy, I'm scared. I don't know what's gonna happen. But my mind is going crazy. It is overwhelmed with what the future might hold. I, I, I just need to be with you. And he says, come on, I got you. I'll make you a pallet on the floor right here next to me. When there's a job loss or there's fear of the economy, there's fear of the future, God's saying, I got you, my boy. You're my boy, you're my girl, I've got you. This is the story, this is the story that we're being pointed to. It's not a story about just a father and a son that Jesus tells on this afternoon during story time. He's pointing us to the cross and the resurrection and the reality that that brings for our lives. But there's a response that's necessary. Look how the story ends. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And then check this out. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What an incredible end to the story. The older son is out and he hears the celebration. He hears the excitement. I mean, when you can hear the dancing, that party has turned up. And it says the father, because he's got love for the older son, just like he does for the younger son, he goes out and he begs him, he pleads with him. He says, come into the house, let's celebrate. And in this moment, the older son has a decision to make. And we ultimately don't know how the story ends, but I think it was intentional when Jesus told the story because it leaves you and I with an invitation. There's an invitation on the table this morning. There's a father who's crazy about you. There's a father who went on a reckless pursuit for you at all cost. Whatever it took, he was willing to do it so that you would know that you are approved, that you are accepted, that you're his boy, you're his girl. He loves you, you belong to him. And we live in a culture, we live in a society where we trick ourselves to believe that I've gotta do everything in order to find that approval. And oftentimes it's the dysfunction of our earthly relationships that leads us to believe that way. And we begin to think in order to be approved, in order to be accepted, in order to be loved, I've gotta do more. And what God is saying to us, what he is shouting to us this morning, is he's saying, I did everything necessary. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is step back underneath the canopy of my love, my reckless, perfect love. And in the context of Father's Day, for parents, we desire to be the perfect parent. In order to be the perfect parent, we've gotta step underneath the canopy of his love. We've gotta take the position 
of his child in order to be the best parent to our children. Because what he does is as we step underneath his canopy, he creates a canopy over us where people begin to experience his love, his provision, his understanding, his wisdom, his protection. As I reflected back on middle school camp this week and preparing for this, on the last night of camp, we kind of made a last minute decision at the request of the students because it's obvious they love the song, Reckless Love. And we made the decision to add Reckless Love into the song set for the last night of camp. And as I reflect back on that, it is overwhelming to think about the countless students who stepped into the week at middle school camp coming from homes with complete disconnect from an earthly father. And all week long, we were praying, God, we wanna see you, we wanna understand you, we wanna know your love for us personally. And then to get to that last night of camp and to see hundreds of students with their arms stretched up as high as they possibly can stretch their arms, singing out the bridge of the song, Reckless Love, a perfect love. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. No lie you won't tear down coming after me. I mean, do you hear that? There's no shadow you won't light up coming after me. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after your boy. There's no wall you won't kick down, stomp down coming after your little girl. And there's no lie you won't tear down, even the lie that you maybe have believed your entire life, that you don't matter, that you're not accepted, that you're not loved. You have a perfect father who is crazy about you this morning and his reckless love did everything necessary so that you could have a new story, so that you could be approved, so that you could be accepted, so that you would belong, so that you could be his son, you could be his daughter that you could have a new family, that you could have a new home. I believe this is an incredible reminder for us this morning, but it also demands an incredible response. And so as a way to respond this morning, I just want us to simply sing the song again. I mean, what better way to bookend a message about our reckless, or our father's reckless love for us than to sing reckless love. And man, when we get to that bridge, I want the roof to come off this place because we believe it not because we want people to hear our voices, but because we believe it personally, that it matters to me, that it changes me, that it is my story. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's overwhelming to think about the love that you have for us when we chose to run from you. And so God, I just pray right now that you would do everything to move any distraction out of our mind and we would fully be able to focus on you, understand you, that we would know and experience your love in this moment, so much so that what happens in this room this morning does not stay in this room, but it changes us as we leave. We love you, we trust you, we sing to you in Jesus' name, amen. Sing
pray with me? Father, we thank you. Oh my gosh, just the overwhelming idea that you would chase after us. When we chose to run from you. God, we're so grateful. Overwhelm us today as we leave. Consume our mind, consume our hearts, consume our understanding this week with your love for us. And would we be so wrecked and overwhelmed by it that we can't hide it, that it would demand an explanation of our life because of the work that you're doing, because of the way that you've protected us, the way that you've covered us, the power that is at work in us, and the privilege we have to be your sons and daughters. God, will we never forget that? Will we see it clearly this morning? God, I pray that you give us courage, boldness, no matter where we are in this relationship with you, just to continue to walk, to take another step, to experience breakthrough, to see life change happen. Because we know you are for us and you are going before us and we have nothing to be afraid of. We trust you, we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.